Welcome to the Meeple Syrup Season 3 After Show. Uh, this is a, a, a little twist on an old thing. We often had the after show, which really meant, like, are you willing to talk to us past midnight? Um, but uh, now with the, the lunchtime slot, uh, we're doing things a little differently. Instead, we're doing it as a little bit of a chance for the for whoever are the hosts for the given week, a chance to talk about the episode and share their thoughts. Because as you know, and one of the things that people really enjoy about our show is we really focus on our guests and pepper them with a variety of questions, getting to know them, but then people have been asking what the hosts think. So instead of trying to squeeze that into the episode, because we really like our format, we thought we would do the after show as a chance for the hosts to chat a little bit about uh, the episode. And so in the future, we will be posting these live as well, and you're welcome to uh, continue to watch live with this. That's another thing is we used to try to kind of save it as extra content later in the week and release it a few days later. But we're going to always do them live as well where you can join in the after discussion. And if you have questions specifically for the hosts, then this is your chance to ask the hosts uh, your questions. So mm -hmm. we're, we're not really predicting too many people this week. Uh, but in the future, we'd really enjoy, if you're willing and able uh, to watch live, then we want to hear from you and we want to hear um, what what you think as well. Mm -hmm. um, Definitely uh, don't get fired. Don't get fired. Don't get fired, though. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. You can, you can tweet us or, or send us your questions later when it's a safe time to watch the episode for you. So, um, so why don't, uh, first off, uh, Tiffany... Why don't you give like a super quick summary of what, in general, was our guests and what they talked about, and then we'll just jump into it. It's you know just in case people didn't didn't yeah, see yeah, yeah. the episode. So season uh, three, episode one. This today, this week's episode, uh, we had John Gilmore and Stefan Alexander on, and we talked about uh, we talked a lot about the development process in regards to um, what it's like to work with publishers of different sizes. We also really focused and discussed a lot on playtesting, um, both professional playtesters or like paid playtesters, and then we also talked about just more general playtest feedback and comments. Um, so that was kind of like a big overview of what we did. Um, we also yeah, that's talked great. About, yeah, we also talked about John, we talked a little bit about John's upcoming game, Wasteland Express, um, which I didn't realize was called that, because Daryl kept calling it Wasteland Trucking, which is not its name anymore. <laughs> no, 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 it's not. I know that. It's um, a big mouthful that I refuse to say. Uh, okay. Um, so we talked a little bit about that game, which is coming from Z-Man Games uh, next year, I believe. And then we also talked about Stefan's game, Area 51, which is currently on Kickstarter now. Yeah, just a correction there. Wasteland Express is coming from Pandasaurus. Oh, Pandasaurus. I'm sorry. I saw a thingy on... I must yeah, be yeah. looking at the wrong BGG list. That's okay. Or, sorry. Yeah. Title. Pandasaurus was in connection with IDW, so they they specifically are the people developing it and focusing on it, and IDW will be helping with the logistics of the printing and, and uh, distribution and such. And, and friend of the show, Game Trays, is doing the wicked, wicked, wicked inserts for that game. Oh, really? I didn't yeah. know that was confirmed. Oh, you can see it? Cool. Oh, no. brand. Maybe oh, it's not confirmed, but it, they look awesome. No, that's awesome. That's very good. 
I'll have to link through the BGG images a bit more. Yeah. Yeah. But um, so you two are both designers. You guys both have several well, titles. Well, actually, I would correct that a bit. I think I think people should understand kind of the relationship going on here. So obviously, Sen is the Jedi Master of game design, and he he is you know the Jedi Council, uh, part of the early on years of Game Artisans of Canada. I learned under, uh, you know, Jedi Sen, and uh, I was his Padawan uh, for some time. And now I'm kind of somewhere in that middle state, you know, not quite Obi-Wan, but somewhere. Oh, no, in there. You're, you're pretty much Obi-Wan. You've got, I'm Obi-Wan-ish. You've got a, yeah, you've got, you've got, you've got Padawans under you. I, I, so, but I, I work with people, and one yeah. of the new people that I'm really excited to be working with is Tiffany, because Tiffany had some game design ideas, Yay. and she play tests tons of games, including many with her husband Steve who makes amazing games so she she already had the designer playtesting itch and had thoughts and suggestions for many games I've been the benefic- beneficiary is that the right way to say that? Yeah. Of, beneficiary, beneficiary uh-huh. of, of suggestions and ideas I know many of people I mean Tony was gushing on the on the discussion about how helpful Tiffany has been for hi, for him for playtests, and I know many other designers that would very vocally say they've appreciated and been helped a lot by Tiffany. So, uh, so Tiffany's kind of our Padawan example, or the noob mm-hmm. designer, not new to the industry, very involved and connected, but noob noobish to the design, or more asking those questions or focusing that way, because usually your videos in the past have been more from the reviewer standpoint of, like, a player. Like, yes. purchaser, consumer, like, am I going to like this game? What kind of game is this? All that stuff. So, mm-hmm. which we, we have always appreciated and had people on our show from that perspective as well. And my, my main content will still be from that perspective, yeah. 100%. 100%. That's not changing. But when you're on no. here, only game design. <laughs> yeah, I think it's important to have the perspective that I have on here, though, as well. well I, exactly. I think it is too. I, I think yeah. it's, it's both. It's both hats. We'll yeah. Be yeah. To be honest, I don't get to play as many games anymore. Um, I have the others from Eric Lang and Kulminir not sitting on my table, and mm. the kids have managed to make army men out of them, and that's about it. <laughs> but it's been sitting there because I want to play it, but I just don't have the time to play it. So. I've heard I've heard good things. Yeah. I haven't seen it in a long time, so. Yeah. So, I mean, the other thing that uh, actually has changed recently for Daryl, both Daryl and myself, is that we're actually doing development as well. Um, so Daryl did the development for Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles for IDW, um, and he did a lot more than just development. So uh, there was the whole media piece, the campaign piece that he did as well for the live streaming of the playtests, and then development of campaigns and whatnot. And then I'm doing development with a bunch of guys in London, under the, the, the moniker, our, our, our team name is Destroy All Games. Um, and we aim to actually just rip games apart, put them back together, send them back to the publisher in a better format <coughs> for the designers that don't want to do development or mm-hmm. can't do the development because they're too close or don't want to be part of that process or can't be part of that process or where the publisher doesn't want them part of the process. I mean, we'll work with a designer if we have to or if they want us to, but right now we've been really focusing on the idea of let's just do it without that kind of let's let, we'll we'll murder the babies basically is what we're saying, right? Yep. We're going to kill your darlings for you because 
a lot of designers have that problem of not being able to do that. And so we get paid to actually make the decisions that you won't make. Yep. You're, you're too close to it. Not yeah. that you, could make, you could probably do it for somebody else's project. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe, maybe, just, maybe just say you're forcing them to grow up, maybe not killing them. <laughs> the games, not the designers. And, and the nice thing is people are accessing it because they want it. So if they don't want it, then, you know, it's not forced upon you, but it's an yeah. opportunity or it, it's something that you're walking into that you know what you're walking into. Um, I think I think uh, what has helped over over time is as we've built relationships and play-tested for people, people have seen the value add um, that our experience gives. And so, sure, quote-unquote, anyone could play-test, but there is uh, some productivity or some knowledge along the way that we can kind of speed through that process to a point. Uh, and I think it was an important um, uh, suggestion that Stefan had made in the episode where he talked about there's certain points where it's really helpful, for instance, to show your games to designers. And we're a little spoiled because we know a bunch of designers. However, people watching, some of them have no idea of even one other designer that's local to them or accessible to them. And so um, the development process that some of us do because we have these circles of friends and playtesters that are experienced um, really then changes things for us. We, we almost have those developers or those early um, kind of kill your darling stages built in for us because we have some friends and we have some designers that we know that help us do that. And so I thought that was really interesting that Stefan brought that up, that there is a time where that's really useful and that's really helpful. It's also a learned thing um, which I learned early on was sometimes you need to also have the experience to know not to listen to advice because mm -hmm. people will often give you advice to make the game that they'd want to make, not necessarily the game that you're making. And yet you need to learn how to hear that feedback but then discern which parts you listen to and which parts you don't listen to. For instance, I mean, if I play test something with you know some people that are really into Euros and I'm trying to make and kind of an Ameritrash game, well, to be honest, a lot of their advice is not going to be applicable, but some of it is, and I still need to listen and hear and read through their comments and then apply it in the way that I think is best. So. Yeah, and sometimes that means applying the bare minimum of those feedbacks, because there's definitely been games that I've played that I'm like, this is not my cup of tea at all, and the designer is really interested in knowing what is like, the bare minimum of what they could do to make it a game I'd be at least willing to play. Um, so that's an interesting thing as well. Um, we have a question from YouTube from Madbona1. Um, what's the difference between development and design exactly? Is it sort of like writing for an editor? I don't know which one of you wants to answer that one. I'll take that first, and then Daryl can jump in. Um, yes and no. So it, it's not really like an editor. We don't just make corrections when we develop. Um, what we're doing when we're developing is we play test a whole lot and a lot and a lot and a lot and then tweeze out from there what works and what doesn't uh, from the design intention of the original designer plus where the publisher wants to take the product. So let's say I get a game from publisher X, Y, or Z. We'll say IDW because I think Nate's listening or watching. And uh, say Yay. I get a game from uh, IDW and the designer has one vision but in order to make sales the or make it fit a price point or something, 
Nate might come and say, Sen, we need to do this game, but you need to have like 20% less componentry. How can you do that? Or even just the cards need to be reduced. Or we can't do all the miniatures that he wants. What are we going to do? Then my job as a developer would be to take that existing system but make it fit the vision of the publisher uh, because for a lot of times, like I said, it's it's really hard for the original designer to say, but if I cut this out, then this changes, and this changes, and this changes. And because they know their system so intimately well, they kind of get in this anxious panic state of, well, what happens if I cut this out? And so they, they have a very hard time doing it, whereas I don't know anything about their system yet, so I can honestly just cut and see what happens and see what the feels are like and get that that good thing. And a lot of times we hang on to things when we're designing that don't actually need to be there. One of the mm -hmm. biggest hints, I'll, I'll give you guys a super hint right now, is if it takes longer for you to explain it in writing than it does in words, cut that out. Cut that rule out. That rule goes. Mm -hmm. If you can't explain it in writing, you just you should probably get rid of it. And so that's a lot of what we do as well, is we'll look for things that are extraneous, things that cause edge casing. So an mm -hmm. edge case is where that will happen one in 10,000 times, but every 10,000 times it happens, it's horrible, or it's bad, or it has to be explained. So we undesign those, and mm -hmm. a lot of times those things are kept in specifically for thematic reasons. A lot of yep. the more American uh, thematic or high theme games have a lot of that edge casey stuff, and so we work to try to get rid of them. And a lot of times it's easier for us to make those cuts, like I said, than it is for the original designer to do it because they see the bigger picture or their original picture of, well, that was like when this character did this in this movie and maybe I've never seen the movie so it doesn't matter to me, <clears throat> which means it probably won't matter to at least 50% of the players out there. Yeah. That's yeah, all. no, those, those are excellent examples. I think, I think uh, Sen said it really well when it comes to, you know, the process uh, what's the motivation. I think one thing I'll add to to what Sen's saying that I know he'd agree is especially he, he, he early on mentioned, you know, depending on who you're you're focused on or who you're developing for. So for instance, um, if you're you're getting approach from the publisher, so you're really working on behalf of the publisher with specific goals, then obviously that's your your evaluation tool of, you know, once you've been successful. That's what you're aiming to do. You know, you you have a task and then you can measure it. And so that's a measurable difference that you've contributed to the game. The other thing that I think it's really important to add is also that you're trying as a developer to 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 bring out and to develop and shine the rules that the designer is trying to accomplish. So um, often a developer will ask lots of questions and they'll ask a lot of questions to the designer of what, where they were trying to go or what they're trying to accomplish because then a developer can kind of look from a distance and not struggle. It's, it's fun because you're not designing, you're actually just saying, oh, well, if you're trying to go there, here's, you know, as Sen was mentioning, some of those extraneous rules, these things are actually bogging down your message. These things are getting in the way of the experience that you you want players to have. So the nice thing is when you're developing and you're developing with a, a designer that has a specific goal for their game or a focus of what experience they want people to walk away with, what story they want uh, to tell, then you can come alongside and really help them tell that story better. In, instead of what I would say for the original question, what's the difference between design and development, if I'm designing a game, I'm telling the story, I'm creating the story, and the developer's role is more coming alongside helping tell the story that the designer 
has already established. So I, th I think for me that's the, the major headspace distinction uh, between design and development is uh, whose story are you telling and then how are, how are you trying to tell that story best. Mm -hmm. Designer is obviously trying to tell their story best and they're you're, they're going to be doing all those refining and editing steps, but they're they're also experimenting with what's fun and and chasing down bunny trails of where their story might go. Once they found it, then it's a little bit more of a development process yeah. of then uh, t getting that efficiently and clean and fun and getting you know for instance the the biggest thing in the last year that I've really changed on is if a rule, like Sen was talking about rules taking too long to say, I mean, I'm even, I think this is true of Sen as well, we're even trying to think of making rules as short as possible in general, because we don't want it to be the rules that drives your experience, but the story that you're going to tell. So it's even easier, because that, that's the biggest hurdle, is the rule book for, for games. And when people can get over the rules, or when rules are intuitive and when they're weaved in and when they're quick to learn the upfront and you can learn the game as you go, uh, for us as designers, that, that's a real kind of moment of elegance and, a, and accomplishment. So, Yeah, what do you think about that, Tiff? From, from your perspective as a, as a mass consumer of games, what's, what games have you found are really hitting the mark for you? Um, I mean, it's really... It's really interesting, because when I first started playing games, I just was kind of like, I use the word fiddly a lot um, in regards to describing a game um, that I'm now realizing just didn't have enough development most of the time. Um, and so now when we play a game and something doesn't work or something's a little weird or it's a little squiggly or something like that, instead of saying it's fiddly, we now say, I don't think this game, I think this game needed some more development. Um, so it's... I, I'm trying to think of a really good example of that, and I don't... Nothing's coming to mind, but, I mean, there's there's the concept of when you, when you talk about a game and, like, the simplicity to teach. For I can kind of tell if a game is going to be good or not when someone's teaching it to me. If I can intuitively look at the board and look at... Um, what's going on on the board, either symbol-wise mm -hmm. or anything like that, and, like, they're telling me rules, and I immediately, like, maybe they miss something, and I can point to it and be like, so does this mean this? Right. If mm -hmm. they say yes, then I'm like, sweet. And there's other games where I'll do that, and they'll be like, oh, no, that actually means this whole other thing, and then that's just a sign that there needed to be a little bit more development Either sometimes it's graphical or sometimes it's actually just game interaction. Yeah, um, so yeah there's yeah. definitely a lot of that, Tiff, is perfect <clears throat> in terms of, of what you're looking for when, in a well-developed game. You're looking for, like Daryl said, communication of the story. But the graphical interface, uh, and, and I don't know if Beth's still watching, but um, there are some designers out there, graphic designers, uh, that can communicate the rules through pictures mm -hmm. in such an elegant way that that's definitely another another facet of development. Um, one other thing that I uh, just wanted to make the distinction between is development versus content generation. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times we get stuck in content generation hell, which is where we're developing like 20 million cards for a certain thing, right? You know, a really simple example would be say you're developing Trivial Pursuit, you need to make 
questions for every category. You need 5,000 questions for every category. You're just sitting there pounding out things. That's not true development, uh, in my mind anyways. True development is what Daryl's saying, is bringing the story from the back to the front. One thing you'll find, Tiff, as you get down this this trail of game design, and I'm sure Steve will tell you this too, is that you end up throwing a lot of stuff at the wall and seeing what sticks. And at the end of the day, a lot of that stuff that's stuck probably doesn't need to be there anymore. And that's another thing that we do as developing uh, is is you know scrape some of that stuff off the wall because it's really obfuscating the actual artwork that's behind there. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if Steve will tell me that. <laughs> 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 Steve Steve has designed a lot of games. Steve, um, I have now learned when Steve is thinking about a game because he just becomes really quiet, and it'll last for, like, a few days, and I have to tell him to go and, like, right. sit down and just get it out of his brain. Yeah, yeah, that's an important step is just yeah. get it all out. And he's, he had, I just, it just, he had one of those this like last weekend and it was to the point where I was like I can't talk to you about literally anything because you're just so into this game right now so just go write it all out and he's got mole, he writes in moleskins and he's got a stack of moleskins about that sounds, that sounds pretty Portlandish yeah yeah he's Definitely well Portland thing. yeah we the, we didn't move to Portland um because it was a bad fit we'll just say no. that. Um, <laughs> But he's got a giant stack of moleskins that he's been writing in since he was in high school. Wow. That have game design ideas and stuff like that. And it wasn't until he started, um, I would say, he started designing his first game, No Benefits, where he actually started turning those into, like, actual products. Um, cool. So he's, he is, I mean, I'm, like, a major Padawan because I don't even know how to take my ideas and turn them into something that you can play quite yet. Um, but he is, he's like, he's at that stage. He really yep. is at the stage where he's learning to chainsaw, like, his designs up. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's an important process along the way. I mean, we always kind of, um, as, as game artisans, we're always looking for other people to come alongside. But we also realize there's a lot of steps you just have to do on your own or you actually just some stuff just takes time and uh, so as fast as some people want to go through the process the reality is you you just have to go through a lot of different steps of just you know trying stuff building it testing it seeing what's fun being close being far junking stuff sawing stuff up I mean all those things you just it you're the better for it doing it all anyways because it's going to happen over and over again and even as a semi-experienced designer now I still go through all the same mistakes I just do it faster and so it's just learning how to do the the steps faster and then also not being discouraged because there's there's an emotional kind of resiliency that you start to gain throughout the design of understanding you know, failure in design does not mean you're a failure. I, I'm i a sports guy, but the example that I always think of is like a baseball hitter. I mean, they're swinging and missing so many times, and they can still be considered a very successful hitter. So same thing with design. Just because there's lots of things you're cutting does not mean you're failing. You're actually 
succeeding because there's still stuff in there that's worth keeping. So. Yeah, you're, you're, you're basically pruning your way to success. <clears throat> and Daryl uses a lot of words that I use in psychology class when I talk about resiliency and I talk about you know failure. Failing is not failure. Failure is when you quit because you think you can't progress, right? Yeah. And a lot of the things that you're, you're experiencing in the terms of the, of the how do I get this out of my head or I don't even know how to get this out of my head, that's exactly what this kind of forum is about in terms yeah. of Maple Syrup, in terms of the mentorship thing that I might do soon, in terms of whatever we're going to do as our side projects, um, really wanting to get people to understand the process. And Daryl's exactly right when he says, you know, I still make all the same mistakes. They just don't seem like mistakes anymore. They become part of your process, right? Mm -hmm. And once you take the ownership on that making a mistake is part of the process, you'll be okay with it. And mm -hmm. everything will seem okay. Whereas I know, you know, maybe 12-year-old me, if I made a mistake, I'd just stop. Yeah. yeah. Right? But I'm 40-some now, so it's, 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 I don't stop. I just keep going through those mistakes. And it's, it's good to have a lot of supportive people like Daryl, like UTIF, like my uh, co-designers Jay and Jesse and Scott, all the people that design around us in terms of game artisans and kind of the greater game community that um, really kind of spurn us on through our mistakes. And besides and despite all our mistakes, we're able to get the product out in the end because we realize that the end result is is because of those mistakes. Oh, um, yeah, I'll just yeah, briefly talk about the mentorship process or the mentorship program. What I'm going to do tonight anyways is draft up some shape or form of the mentorship thing where I'll accept applications. I'm not sure exactly how many I can do at once or whether it'll be on like a cycle of, you know, um, maybe two or three people, maybe maybe four. And every week I do a different person, and then a month later I'll see you again. Because you need about two weeks to really get a good reiteration of your prototype in and another couple playtests in to come back and then chat. Um, and so that might be the process that we go through, is maybe taking on two to four people in the mentorship process and going through the, the whole thing with them. And so what, I appropriate, what I'd like to do is take people all the way from um, a little bit more than I did. I'd like somebody who has shown the you know initiative to actually make a prototype, um, set it up, send it to me, make something on tabletop simulator, whatever, and start from there as a dedicated person to go through maybe a year's worth of, or 12 months or whatever worth of stuff with them, or six months probably, I don't know, whatever. We'll figure all that out. And then really walk them through the process or help them not hand-holding, not guiding. Um, as, you, as you know, I'm a martial arts guy, so sensei in martial arts really doesn't mean teacher. It means one who's been there before. And so that's all I would like to do is, is be a guidepost for somebody who's saying, okay, now what do I do? Or where should I look to next? And maybe I have some ideas, maybe I don't. But together we'll solve whatever problems you have and we'll link up people. If I don't know, I, I probably know somebody who does know. And so that's really what the mentorship process is about. It's not about you know, Sen being the know-it-all. It's about me helping people realize their dreams. Um, and it's more about their dreams than it is about me at all, right? So anyway, that's so there kind you of go. what I'm going with that. If people are interested in game design with Sensei Sen, then, <laughs> then uh, you can uh, keep your eye out for more details about that. We also want to give a shout-out for next week's show. Yeah, Actually, I'll give you a bit of a preview uh, of some of the guests that we have scheduled for the year. It's been pretty exciting. I just uh, just started asking people to be on the show and our schedule is starting to fill out. So 
Um, next week we have uh, in my place will be J.R. Honeycutt, and uh, we have guests. Oh, no, Eric, not and then we and then we also have Eric Lang will be on the show, and we're just confirming our other guests. It might be Ben Harkins with Floodgate Games, uh, but the topic for the show will be: Is attending conventions important? And and what what you can do at conventions, you know, some tips, some experience. So spoiler alert, yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, it seems pretty important, but we'll, we'll hear from um, our guests and from our hosts uh, why it's important and how you can really maximize that time. Uh, then we have, uh, you know, Isaac Shalev that's going to be on the show, Gil Hova, Jeremy Salinas, uh, Lance Mixter, uh, Theo Revere with Repos Games. He did the uh, Sea of Clouds. Uh, Bruno Cathala just confirmed. Mike Fitzgerald, Scott Gaeta, Nate Murray, uh, Josh uh, Lubakowitz. I'm sure I butchered how you say that, but the Lubakowitz. Libikowitz, thank you. Uh, with Gray Fox, uh, we got Ben Rossett from Panda. We got J.T. Smith from Game Crafter. Stephen Sauer is going to be on. Adam Weiss is going to be on. A few uh, game artisans. Uh, Jim Pinto will be back. We always love having him on the <laughs> Rant, show. Ranting with Jim Pinto. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, we got Nick Little uh, confirmed. We got uh, Joey Vigor. Matt Fantastic, I just confirmed. Uh, yeah. Tanya, Tanya Cook, I just confirmed. Uh, so we have some really great stuff. Uh, Rob Davio is really excited about the new time slot, but yes. has to be involved in January because he's teaching at this time slot. Uh, so yeah, so I mean, we got we got some all stars uh, confirmed, and and many more that are getting back to us. I know, for instance, uh, Matt Leacock is an example who said he was going away for the weekend, but one to schedule something as soon as possible. Uh, to be on the show, so we 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 have some fantastic people, and and we're going to continue to reach out. But also, please contact us um, if you uh, think uh, you have something that could add to the discussion that you want to share with others that you've learned along the way. Uh, or if you want to be on the show like Chris Chung does, or you could just <laughs> randomly want to be on the show. Uh, maybe think through what you want to share uh, before just wanting to be on the show. Yeah, if you have uh, a topic, that'd be really nice, Chris. Yeah, yeah, so that maybe we can plug you in and fit. Just, and, just being Asian does not get you on the show. Well, close, but no. It's close, but, uh, it's close, but uh, just because your game uh, is amazing and we call you sir is not enough. So, uh, yeah, so some things to look forward to, uh, some spinoff opportunities. Also, I want to give a little quick plug. Uh, we've, uh, we will have a, a winter event um, that uh, we'll be doing. It's not uh, going to be called Meeple Syrup. Uh, we kind of use that as a placeholder uh, for last year, but it's uh, going to be the board game base camp. And so... Oh, I like that. That's good. I like that. Thanks. So uh, we're just confirming up some of the details on that, and it will be in the new year. So again, if you went last year, you automatically have an invite, and then we're trying to increase and get some more spots. So if you're interested in coming, uh, please contact me as soon as possible so that uh, we uh, get as many people there as we can. We had a great time last year, and yeah. Have we have we thought about doing a West Coast version? <laughs> uh, actually, uh, spoiler, yes. Uh, so we're in talks with uh, Amber Cook and Brandon Parson. Awesome. Uh, are, are helping pull together uh, another opportunity that will match match in some ways the experience, and it'll probably be in Lake Tahoe. Yes. I was so, going to suggest Tahoe. It was awesome. 
Yeah. Hey, so. Daryl, we should get Amber on the show. And, and, yep. and we'll I sent her a message, and Brandon. Good, okay. Hey, come because on the show. She they, has were at, they were amazing, busy at PAX. Yeah, she has some amazing insight on, on the marketing and all that kind of stuff, which I'd really like to get into this season. Yeah, yeah. I actually have her as a question mark on my schedule for branding and yeah, just, just how to as make an, a brand. As an exclamation mark. Yeah. That's awesome. Okay, cool. Ooh, well, I think that's kind of it, right, guys? Sounds like it's a wrap today. Yeah. 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 All right, cool. Well, again, I apologize for not having the song ready, so uh, I'm going to get Tiffany to sing it. Yeah! What? I don't know it that well. I can't. No. <laughs> that was good enough. That's good enough. All right. We'll see you all later. Thanks very much for tuning in. And again, just interact with us. Let us know what you want to see, who you want to see, and we'll try to make that happen. Awesome. Thanks for showing up. Bye.